This is the Life of Jesus podcast with Ben Greenbaum and Mark Elsesser. We're in episode number nine of a full year of looking at the life teachings and works of Jesus from the four Gospels put together in one chronological flow. We spent a lot of time last week, all the time last week, talking about the harvest, which was the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman that Jesus encountered. I want to shift it today to the, out of the spiritual into physical, the physical touch of Jesus in many ways in people's lives, the, the healings and miracles. And to set a context for it, just briefly touch on a piece of Mark chapter 1 that we really didn't get to last time because there wasn't time, but Jesus is healing all kinds of people a man who was possessed, Simon Peter's mother-in-law, and many, many other people in Mark chapter 1, 32 to 34. He even wanted to try to get some time alone, but they wouldn't leave him alone. So he goes about and does more healing. He was a guy with leprosy. And then just, I want to touch base on this, Ben, to start it off. In, in Mark 1, 45, it says he told the guy he'd healed to keep it quiet. But in verse 45, Mark 1, 45, instead, he went out and began to talk freely, spreading the news. As a result, Jesus could no longer enter a town openly, but stayed outside in lonely places. Yet the people still came to him from everywhere. I think, I think years ago, if I remember right, that the Beatles once said they were more popular than Jesus. And well, maybe they were, maybe they were, but right here, maybe Jesus was more popular than the, than the Beatles. Yeah. So any, uh, any popular groups, do you, were you a Beatles fan? Was they, were, I, they were long gone by the time you were a baby, but you know, but yeah, obviously I was a Beatles fan. I grew up, my, my parents had, you know, Abbey road and everything else on vinyl. And so we did listen to a lot of Beatles uh, growing up. Yeah, what what was your jam growing up? My jam growing up. <laughs> that's that's a loaded question. There, I have I have a very diverse taste in music uh, in general. Uh, but you know, I I went through uh, the hair band phases of the eighties uh, hair band. And then uh, in the 90s, all the grunge music that I could get my hands on um, was just a, a big, huge part of, uh, of my time. It's always crazy how music can just bring us back uh, to particular moments uh, in life. And so, yeah, anytime Pearl Jam comes on the radio, uh, all of a sudden I'm harking back to the early 90s. <laughs> That's it. You're, yeah. all, you're all over. Huh? Stay yeah. off the road when Ben's listening to that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Well, I guess maybe, maybe, uh, unfortunately, or maybe fortunately, I missed a lot of that. The, the eighties I was in college and in seminary. So for seven years, <laughs> I didn't even, I don't even know if I had a radio. You see, <laughs> so you I, see, just, I really missed the eighties. It was kind of a blur to me. That sounds like my wife. Every time I ask Sherry, something will come on the radio and I'll start singing it. And she's like, and I'm like, don't you know this song? This is like a part of like our teenage years. How do you not know this song? And she always tells me, well, that's because I was studying. <laughs> Somebody had to, <laughs> right? If you're that's not right. smart, very smart. That's, that's right. right. <laughs> so, so Jesus here, he, he's more popular than the Beatles or Pearl Jam, I guess. He's he's super popular, and there are people who are just crowding him and going everywhere. Which brings us now to we're going to go to Luke chapter five, 
brings us to Luke chapter 5, and there's a crowd, a massive crowd. Jesus, first of all, let's set the context in Luke chapter 5, verse 17. Jesus is, we, we know from the other Gospels that Jesus is in Capernaum. Capernaum's a community, smaller community, on the northern shore of the Sea of Galilee, which is up north, freshwater lake. And it became the headquarters for Jesus' ministry. It became his, his new home mm-hmm. where he, he built his ministry. So he's, he's preaching and teaching there in his home community. And they're in a house. We know that. And it says this in verse 17. One day Jesus was teaching. The Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee, the northern region where they were, and from Judea and Jerusalem, way in the south, way south of Samaria. What would you get? What drew the religious scholars, religious leaders from 70, 80 miles away to come? And be with Jesus. Maybe they were there. Maybe they were there for another reason, and but they wanted to listen. But they were there were a lot of people there crowding around this house. Part of it were the religious elite of the day, who had a lot of problems with Jesus. Why would you guess they would be even trying to pay attention? I think they're probably worried about uh, partially uh, about losing influence if massive crowds of people are following Jesus uh, everywhere, listening to Jesus. Um, they're losing influence on the people. Yeah, so so they're losing it. He's gaining it because he's he's more popular than than anything. And the script, the last half of verse seventeen says, "And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick." You think there were days when the power of the Lord was not with him to heal the sick? Unfair, unfair question, but you got to answer it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he he seems equipped to uh, to heal the sick at all times in all places. As he, um, you know, if, if Jesus is the physical embodiment of of the kingdom, and so the wholeness that comes with the kingdom, the physical and spiritual wholeness that comes with the kingdom is made manifest in Christ uh, wherever uh, he goes. And so while he heals in the power of, of the Spirit, um, that power was, in my mind at least, always upon him. It was on him, but I don't know if it was particularly thick that day or at least evident that day, Sure, but it was noteworthy, at least to Luke, as he wrote it down, mm-hmm. that the power of the Lord was with him to heal the sick, and then enter Five Guys. Hey, you like you like that restaurant, Five Guys? Oh, I love it. I love it. I wonder if it's named after this. Now I'm curious. Just Five Guys. Five Guys. Five Guys like hamburgers. From now on, I'm going to utilize that as a means to uh, to sanctify the restaurant, to encourage not, my not family. Not to get free to, hamburgers? No, just to encourage my family to go eat there more. <laughs> that sounds like a good idea. So there's Five Guys. There's a, one of them is a paralyzed man on a mat. And he has his friends. We learned from the Gospel of Mark that there were four friends carrying this guy. And it was just too big of a crowd. It says in verse 19, when they could not find a way to do this, to take him to Jesus, because of the crowd, the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the other people in the community, 
they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd right in front of Jesus before, before anything else. Like, okay, you're the homeowner and Jesus is there in your house. And he's, you know, you're, you go from super proud in one moment because like all the religious scholars are there and people in the community are there and people are standing outside the doorway and the window and you can't even get in the house. And all, the next thing, your, your house is being ripped apart from, from the very top. What's this guy doing in the moment, you know? Is he saying, stop, 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 or yeah. bring him, bring him, bring him? <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I, I live in constant uh, state of fear around what's going to break next uh, at my house. And so, are you a fix it kind of guy? No. Me either. Uh, I, no. I, praise I God for all those who are a fix it type of guys. The true and, even geniuses. The thing, and even the things that I can fix, uh, as I tell my wife oftentimes, I just want to contribute to the local economy because I don't want to engage in it. It is nothing that gives me a uh, fulfillment. If uh, I said that, my wife would just laugh at me and said, that's because you're bad at it. Because <laughs> she just knows I, I have no Every idea. once in a while in my house, like I'll fix something and my wife, uh, Sherry, she'll, she'll, I, I didn't. I didn't know you knew how to do that. I'm like, yeah, there's some things I know how to do. I just assume offload it to somebody else. So again, I can contribute to the local economy. So yeah, I picture this homeowner as his house is being uh, vandalized um, in, in some way as these guys are uh, seeking to lower uh, their buddy, their friend. And it's not um, a little Jesus. hole. I mean, it's no, big enough to, to lower to a, a full-size man yeah. on a mat straight right. down to the feet of Jesus. And something happens when, when the, I mean, of course everybody stops because here's, here's this guy being lowered down right in the middle of the crowd, right at the feet of Jesus. And this is what's surprising. It's in verse 20. We're in Luke five, verse 20. When Jesus saw their faith, not the man's faith, but the faith of the friends is how I take it. Yeah. He said to the man, then the paralyzed man, friend, your sins are, are forgiven. You think the guy's a little disappointed? He wanted to walk. Right. He didn't, he didn't get dropped in there to be forgiven. Right. He got dropped in there to be healed. Right. You think sometimes we are disappointed when all that seems Jesus wants to offer us in the moment is forgiveness and salvation and spiritual restoration as opposed to the things that we want in life? Yeah, absolutely. It's a, it reveals the brokenness of our own heart that oftentimes we do not crave after uh, the things that, that, uh, that God has called us to crave after, to hunger and thirst for righteousness, not to hunger and thirst after my own physical healing, but to hunger and thirst after righteousness. And so you know, even as we look at the New Testament um, and scour the New Testament, so many, so much of the prayer life that is presented in the New Testament is always about growth and the the love and knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, it's not about, and not while we, sh- you know, obviously we should pray uh, for physical healing. We should pray for these things, um, but that that's not the central focus. The central focus is the life that Christ brings us the eternal life uh, that is made manifest through in, through us uh, and in us. It should be uh, made manifest in us uh, in, in the everyday life that we live. You know, we're supposed to be as kingdom ambassadors. Our life should be a reflection of our relationship uh, to Christ. 
And yet so often we crave after things, we pray for things um, that aren't of first importance, and it reveals our own brokenness. Yeah, so we don't know. Maybe this guy was, the way you're just describing, disappointed, broken, but disappointed. But the Pharisees, the teachers of the law, the religious scholars, they weren't disappointed. They were angry. Right. Who is this fellow? In verse 21, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? So in this moment when Jesus says your sins are forgiven, he's taking the place of God. He's making a statement that he is God in the flesh. And they get it. They know what he is doing. And they're pretty upset about it. It says in verse 22, Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, Why are you thinking these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But I want you to know that the Son of Man, a title he uses for himself, has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take your mat, and go home. The guy had to be thrilled that the Pharisees got mad because he's now not just forgiven. He can now walk, too. Sure, sure. So immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on, and went home. They, there was suddenly enough space in the place that they parted and squished together and made a way for him to exit the front door, which had been packed full. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. I guess the, the four friends jumped off the roof and hug their buddy who could now, and dance with him a little bit, who could now walk. It's a, it's a pretty powerful story. Now, what I want to do, I want to set this, this story in, like, you know the old compare and contrast things you had to do when you were in, you were in school and you had to read a story and compare them and contrast sure. the ideas? Let's compare and contrast this with the story down in John chapter 5. So we're going from Luke 5 to John 5. One of my favorites. And we're, we're going from a paralyzed man to a paralyzed man, two different stories, but they're very different. The, the first one in Luke 5 took place up north in Capernaum. The second one takes place down south near Jerusalem. A very different setting, but it's, the idea is the same. The man was paralyzed. And we know from the story that he'd been paralyzed for a super long time, for 38 years. And there was some kind of a, a pool of water that they believed when it kind of gurgled up that if you were the first guy in, you got healing. Uh, really? Right. <laughs> okay. We all have our superstitions, uh, sadly, um, you know. Why do American men think that they sit in the right place at the right time watching their football team? It's going to help their team win. But it does, doesn't it? I hate to break this to you, but it doesn't. Is that why uh, my bears are like... Yeah, you're not in the right place. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. I'm not sitting in the right place. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. That's why Doug's Bengals, though, are just rocking and rolling this year. That's right. Doug found the exact right place to sit in. With the exact right drink, yeah, and he well, takes sips at specific times of his drink throughout the game. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's go go Bengals. So th- this guy, I mean, he's 
he's in a different place than the other one. The, Jesus' question to him, I've always found super interesting. It's in verse 6. It's in verse 6, and it's the end of the verse 6. When he looks at the man who's lying there and he says, do you want to get well? It's a loaded question, but I suppose there's a lot that comes with it. For instance, he's been a paralyzed guy for 38 years, so his existence is kept going by begging. Mm -hmm. But if he gets well and he can walk, he's expected to go work, but he hasn't worked in 38 years, or maybe never. There's probably a lot to this. Do, do you want to go back and be a responsible citizen in society or remain in the state that you're in? Do you want, is there comfort in your misery or do you want a way out of it? I don't know if that, all that is inside that question or not, but it makes me think of things like that. Like, do you really want to get well? It seems like a, almost a cruel question for a guy that's paralyzed for 38 years, doesn't it? Yeah, yeah, and I and this is where again, um, kind of the dual function of the question, while uh, obviously the the paralyzed man thinks in the physical sense, what is being implied spiritually uh, here uh, in Jesus's question. Well, the difference for this poor guy, I mean, he says yes, but here's the difference from him and the Luke five guy who had his four buddies. The five guys. Yeah. The difference is, he says in verse seven, I have no one to help me. Of course, he thought he had to get in the water when it was all stirred up and that would be some magical healing and he'd get it. And he just says, somebody beats me to it because they have people helping them. I have no one to help me. There are two different kinds of paralyzed people. One is surrounded by buddies. Yeah. Who are looking after him and the other's all alone. Yeah. But Jesus ministers to both of them. Yes. And, and as it plays out here in, in the narrative, there, there's probably a reason that this guy is all alone. Yeah. Bad breath? Uh, he doesn't seem to have a necessarily the most pleasant disposition uh, in the world. He is a thankless uh, human being. Um, it seems. And yet that's what we see here in Christ is that Jesus still pursues him and still goes after him, even though he's got this disposition, uh, you know, of kind of this grumpy, uh, guy who nobody really wants to be around. We don't earn God's grace by being good people. That's right. Right. We don't do that. In fact, Jesus not only speaks to him and ministers to him, but he heals him. Yeah. And then he says something to me that's super curious. It's in verse 14. Later, he finds the guy at the temple, which, by the way, he could not have been at it before because he was paralyzed. And he said to the man, see, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. What is worse than being paralyzed? friendless, alone for 38 years. Being cut off from God eternally. And that's what 
you know, again, this this guy, his his immediate response even to to the healing is just so fascinating to me because as the again as the narrative uh plays out, I mean, he is after thirty eight years of being paralyzed, you'd think that he'd be jumping for joy, telling everybody, You won't believe what this man Jesus did for me. And yet, as the as the narrative plays out, um, what we see is that uh, you know, in verse nine at the, the back half of, of nine, after he's already picked up his mat and walked, it, it says the day on which uh, this took place was, was a Sabbath. And so the Jews said uh, to the man, this is the religious leaders, who, uh, the Jews said to the man who had been uh, healed, it is the Sabbath, the law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk. And in verse 13, I love here, the man who uh, was helped had no idea who it was uh, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. And so the guy doesn't know who Jesus is, doesn't think to ask, who are you? Um, it just has no clue. Uh, and then later on, um, after Jesus kind of confronts him and says, see, you were well again, stop sinning. Or, or something worse may happen to you, the man went away and told the Jews, told the religious leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. So then he just goes and, and basically outs Jesus to uh, the religious leaders. Um, but we see, again, this general disposition of someone who is, is thankless, doesn't consider his life uh, with Christ or his life with God, um, even in the presence of this miraculous healing that he has received. And Jesus points him to the ultimate healing that he needs, that it wasn't this physical healing, um, but there is something much greater that you need. So Jesus loves this guy, right? Yeah. And maybe in spite of himself and restores him and, and challenges him to stop sinning. We have this mindset, I think, sometimes, don't we, that God accepts people as they are. Right. But I also believe that God doesn't want us to stay as we are. And so we, we see both in the situation of the, the guy who's surrounded by his buddies, your sins are forgiven. And in this guy who is alone, stop sinning. So Jesus is interested not only in the physical well-being of people, but also in the spiritual wholeness of people. And he doesn't want us to stay as we are in our relationship with him. It's interesting that the religious leaders, are, are, they keep getting it wrong. And so with the, the five guys story, they were like, who, who are you? Do you think that you're, you're God? You can forgive people? And in this particular story, it says in verse 16, we're in John 5 still, because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. They just couldn't see the power of God. They couldn't, like, this guy hadn't walked for 38 right. years. He's walking. Let's celebrate. No, he did it on the wrong day of the week. Yeah, and he's carrying his mat. He's carrying his mat. Yeah. Against the rules. What a, and, and this, this theme of the Sabbath, becomes a point of contention throughout the Gospels. We'll see it time and time and time again. But what really a sad 
way of looking at life and we're we're back to the details or you know the traditional or contemporary or organ or not or stained glass or this or a traditional looking building or what we call big box you know like like why do we get it so wrong we get again sadly it's a byproduct of our own brokenness where rather than i think fully I don't know if grasping is the right word, but rather than fully living into our relationship with Christ and seeking to glorify God with our lives, we get caught up in things that have literally nothing to do with our relationship with God and God's calling upon our life. Um, you know, we, we get caught up and. In, in our own wants, our own desires, um, the things that we think we need uh, relative to, to worship or whatever, whatever it might be, um, that we think are a necessity, uh, not only for my life with God, but for everybody else's life uh, with God. And so, you know, um, which just becomes an absolute distraction to what God has, has called us to, it becomes an absolute distraction to a heart uh, needing to be transformed more fully into the likeness of Jesus Christ. But I don't think Jesus was distracted by it. No. It says in verse 17, in his defense, Jesus said to these religious scholars, my father is always at his work to this very day, and I am working too. For this reason, they, the religious leaders, tried all the more to kill him. So they're trying to kill Jesus from the very beginning of his ministry. Right. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. We're back full circle. The challenge with the Five Guys story is they said, do you think you're God? And the challenge with the lonely guy is, do you think you're God? And so they're coming at Jesus, and Jesus basically says, yes, that's exactly who I am. Uh, ben, I'm just going to call an audible here and ask you to, um, to pray for all of us, the listeners here today, as we are confronted with the identity of Jesus, and early in his ministry, he's proclaiming himself to be God in the flesh. And that all of us would see him for who he really is. Would you do that? Absolutely. Father, I pray that you would, through the presence and work of the Holy Spirit, root our hearts more fully in Christ. That the whole desire of our lives, Lord God, would be to be uh, remade, renewed into the image of our Savior, Jesus that our identity would be rooted in Christ alone, that our heartbeat, Lord God, would parallel the heartbeat of Christ, that we would come to love and to cherish all that you, Father, love and cherish, that we would be set free in this world to make much of Jesus. 
In Christ's name, amen. Amen, amen, thank you. Well, friends, if you want to jump in deeper, go to our church's website, fishersumc.org, or our church app, and click on the Life of Jesus link. That'll take you to more elements in this year-long study of the life of Jesus, including daily gospel readings, devotions, poems, sermons, group studies, and other episodes of this podcast. I I should say, by the way, that I grew up in the 70s, really, and so I I like to listen to Chicago, a lot of their jazz tunes, and the Eagles. Those were probably my two favorite favorite groups when I was when I was growing up so uh, that's the most important part of this podcast for today what music we that shape us right yeah all right thanks folks we'll see you next week